All right. We are so professional. Start the show. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, show number 44. With me tonight is our surrogate Eric, Eric Muir. Hello. And of course, with me is Mac. Hello. Kimberly. Hey, everyone. And Ian. Good evening. How is everybody this evening? I'm good. You're good? Doing real good. Had a great weekend. Yeah? Yeah, I got my um, backyard set up, done for Halloween, and then we did the zombie crawl at the third annual historic downtown Littleton zombie crawl on Saturday. That's a whole family, so that was pretty cool. Oh, I went to the circus. Hey, hey Brian, just a quick note here. Mm -hmm. I saw that Eric Robbins came online. I saw that. So we could actually have a banner double Eric, double Eric and I. I'm sorry, we're not adding another person. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's bad. We know this. Okay. All right. And he's gone. All right. He's moving. All right. So, <laughs> going forward, zombie crawl, good. Got got I went to Vail oh, and saw the colors. And saw what? Saw the colors, the fall colors. Oh, are they, you went and see the Aspen? Yes. And are they, is it, was that a good weekend? It was amazing. Is, do it you think it'll be better than the weekend coming up? I don't know. We saw a lot of leaves coming down. Yeah. When the yeah. Up, so I'm not sure how much will be left, but it was, uh, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah, we were talking about that. We need to get up there and go look at the Aspen. Apparently, apparently, New Hampshire is very good for leaf peeping. Really? Oh so yeah, I've the heard whole northeast. Yeah, yeah. That's I went to good. the I went to the circus and uh, and Peter was outside protesting. So it was a peaceful protest. They were just telling people to stop going to the circus and and come to their animal retreat instead, where they save circus animals. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't know them. they were in town this weekend. Uh, yeah. Um, Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus is in town. What tricks do the saved animals do? You know, that's a good question. You know, they're ex circus animals, so I'm sure that they can do you know all the tricks. Yeah, but, but once you've been in the circus that long, what what's that animal going to do for a living now? I mean, exactly. they don't know anything else they're like rock stars what are you gonna do now reality tv that's what happens to old rock stars is reality tv reality tv yep. i would watch reality tv about ex-circus animals yeah i would too fun. i would too i really would but yeah. you know you got gene simmons and ozzy osbourne both on reality shows and they used to be circus animals that's true <laughs> Close enough. I think technically Ozzy used to eat circus animals. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. What's going on in local skepticism, Kimberly? Well, um, it's, it's a little quiet right now, but it, um, it looks like it's going to start heating up in mid-October. So uh, we got two events on Sunday, October 9th. One, the Humanists of Colorado is doing a presentation on sustainability, greening the home. That should be pretty good, but I'm not going to that because I'm going to see Tim Minchin in concert at the Boulder Theater, which I'm I'm really thrilled about. Yeah, um, I know a lot of people are going. Did you get tickets, Brian? You know, I looked. When I went to look, they said they weren't selling tickets, and I wonder, and I've seen so many people since then say that they're going that maybe I should have kept looking. Maybe the site was just down. They said that they weren't available at that time, so I didn't okay. get tickets. I should go look again. Maybe I'm... That'd be fun. Yeah, I'm pretty psyched. I got I got some really good tickets. I bought them literally the second they went on sale. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I was hovering over the site instead of working. Yeah. But um <laughs> that's okay. Um let's see. So then Tuesday, October eleventh at Cafe Science is prone to crawl. And um Stace wants to go to this one. Apparently it's about um a culture um 
I, I didn't read the whole thing yet, but I'm, I'm planning to go where um, apparently it's a matriarchal society and they basically carry the kids until they're like something like four or five years old, I believe. Hmm. Um, it's supposed to be a pretty interesting discussion about um, about different societies. Um, then I had um, the Museum of Nature and Science is doing all sorts of different uh, shows. I couldn't find a link for this one. I'll see if I can get it before we put the show notes up. But there's one called The Species Seekers. And I've got something printed out here about it if you want to okay. hear real quick. The little blurb is, acclaimed science writer and NPR commentator Richard Conniff brings to life the story of the bold and colorful adventurers who risk death to discover strange life forms in the furthest corners of planet Earth. He'll retrace the footsteps of these daredevil species seekers ranging from the father of modern taxonomy, Charles Linnaeus, to Thomas Jefferson, who laid out mastodon bones on the White House floor. So I know we've got a lot of science fans out there, so uh, they've had some really great programs over there, so I thought I'd mention that. And I have a membership that I don't use often enough. I need to start looking at these and going. Yeah, yeah. They also have the uh, the science lounge on. I think it's the third Thursday of the month. Oh, okay. And I those are usually really great too. Yeah, those are fun. I've been to those. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And since we've got an extra special podcaster with us, uh, I was going to talk all about Atheist Humanity YouTube night, but let's go to the source. Yes, absolutely. Here this just in. Um, no, so Sunday, October 16th, we are going to do our first, and hopefully it'll be something we do a lot more of. That's why I say first. We're going to do a first YouTube night. And we're doing this as a kind of a fundraiser, but it's the cheapest fundraiser in town. So it's 10 bucks to get in, and your money goes to whatever charity you want. So we're encouraging people to go to the website, the atheistforhumanity.org, and donate to any charity they want. And then just put a note in the, in the end section that says YouTube night, and that'll get them into the door. Unless Kimberly tackles them first, because she's working the door. Oh. And, <laughs> and uh, so that'll get them in, and they can donate, obviously, a lot more. But we're going to show anywhere between an hour and an hour and a half of really good stand-up comedy, all from YouTube. So I've got George Carlin, um, Chris Rock, Sam Kinison. Let's see, I've got one from Bill Maher. Who else do I have? I have a whole bunch of them. Uh, Billy Conley. So I just try to find the best of stand-up comedy and uh, just trying to kind of enter- entertain people and get them to use the website and get familiar with it and get used to it, generate yeah. some traffic. All right. So it's going to be a good time. It's 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 some good stuff. So if I donate- and there'll be there'll be door prizes for people who register online, yep, or perfect. a chance at door prizes anyway. So if yep. I, if every ten dollars that you yeah, donate, uh, you get up to ten chances to win. Mm-hmm. You get atheist T-shirts and some other T-shirts, and then some DVDs from Richard Dawkins and one Richard Dawkins book. So it's gonna be a bunch of prizes and stuff. Oh, that's fine. But so now, but if you want to bring more people, for every ten dollars, you can bring another person too, right? Yep, okay, absolutely. Good. And they are also, as long as you put their name uh, when you register, as long as you put your, their name in the notes, then they will also be eligible. But if you want to bring friends and you don't want them to get anything. Then just leave their names off. Okay, so I can put my <laughs> wife's name up there, but not put her in the raffle. Yes. Okay, so I can bring her and and but and just exclude her. Yeah. You're saying yeah, it's okay as, for me as long to as you do twenty or wife. more, then yeah, okay. you're entitled. I can exclude my wife. Yes. Okay. Good. From the drawings. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
Because you might bring a, you might bring a Christian friend. I mean, where this is an all inclusive kind of thing. This is just for fun and charity. So your Christian friend may not want an, uh, an atheist T-shirt. <laughs> Chances are. Chances are. Chances are. Very good. So yeah, so it's gonna be fun. So well, it's kind of an experimental thing. Um, I'm a big believer in not just asking people for money for for just cause. I like the idea of providing something in return, some kind of benefit, and getting everybody together and eating and drinking and watching YouTube and laughing our asses off is a good idea. And I'm sorry, where is this? Is this? This is at the Walnut, Walnut Room, Room okay. which is at uh, 30th and Walnut, roughly. All right. Did you say that and I missed it? No, I okay. didn't. <laughs> right. I got so excited about the event, I forgot to give you the details. Right. Well, it's nice to know where it is. We'd like to make it there. Yeah. So 6.30 is when it starts, and we'll probably, I'll do an hour and a half of video, and then I'll have music, and I'll encourage people to stay around, and we'll do the giveaway throughout the night, um, and then we'll just have music and drinks and be merry. All right. Very good. All right. So what's next? Okay. Well, um, the next thing I've got on here is uh, a couple more from the Museum of Nature and Science. There's Nightmare at the Museum on Thursday, October 20th. Um, that's uh, that's the Science Lounge this year, or this month, rather. So um, it says, uh, get your blood racing in time for Halloween. We reveal the science behind the paranormal, the mythical, and the creepy. Find out about parasites that turn hosts into zombies. Check out our collection of skeletons and hold a tarantula. Hang out with our own mad scientists while sipping our spooky signature cocktail, the hot eyeball highball. Nice. Costumes encouraged. All right. So that sounds like a fun one too to get into the uh, the Halloween season. And they're also doing another one, adults only, on Friday the twenty first. Uh, live bats. Last year, um, Stace and I went with Rich Orman, and Reed was there. I think there were a couple of other skeptics. Uh, over in Aurora, they had a bat demonstration with live bats. That one was geared more towards kids, but it was absolutely fascinating. I loved it. So um, I think I'll go over to the museum this year. And uh, I don't know why it's adults only, but um, any chance to be away from children, I think, is fabulous. So <laughs> Yeah. I, any chan I, I any chance to get that close to live bats? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm interested. Right. Yeah. And sometimes it's nice if they're, you know, vampire bats to stick a kid in your way, you know, to defend yourself. But I think they got them under control. Hey, maybe Ozzy will show up. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, we, and then, oh, go ahead. We have, we have bats in my neighborhood. So hmm. during the twilight, you can look out and see them chasing each other all over the sky. And you'd be amazed at how fast they can move. I think mm -hmm. most people have them in their neighborhood. They might just not realize it. I've want, I've always wanted to put up a bat uh, box in the backyard. I've not done it. Go go to one of these presentations. I Last know. year they talked about how easy it was to build them, and um, they they had some materials on that, and they actually even gave away um, a door prize of of one of those bat houses. When I went to again, New I yeah. I can't promise it's at this one, but I would imagine it's the same kind of people. Well, when I went to Carlsbad Caverns, um, I made a donation to the bats and they gave me instructions and everything on how to do it so and it and it isn't that tough it's basically just you know giving them a place to roost and uh and they and they said that it isn't difficult to track them. right right yeah, yeah cool. no bats are fascinating yeah. creatures so um that should be some fun science um saturday the 22nd is the iig meeting i don't know what we have planned for that because i've been a total slacker you got anything on that brian okay so here's what um our last meeting was actually quite good we, we've come up with a project that we'd like to do um and basically what we're looking at i don't know how much i want to say um but basically we want to reach out to some of these paranormal groups we'd like to get some information but part of what i'd like to do is i'd like to be less adversarial groups, and, I, and i'd like to have a working relationship so i'd like the you know the iig the skeptics and the believers and they try to be
be scientific, I think. You know, I, I don't know. I, and I don't want to cast any, uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to label them so much as I like. To, we, we'd really like to reach out to them and talk to them. Because even though we may have a different view on things, I think that ultimately we were looking for the same information. Is this stuff real? And how do we prove it? And so even though, yeah, the skeptics generally don't buy it and they may, may have a higher level of belief than we do, I don't think it has to be so adversarial between us. And so I'm hoping that the project that we're working on will help to kind of bridge that and, and allow us to work together. So I kind of, a, you know, so for the IIG, I have this ideal that, I, that, I'm, that I'm looking at seeing if we can create. Um, I don't know if it's possible or not, but we're certainly going to give it a try and see if we can make it happen. So so we, so at the next meeting, we should hopefully have some um, uh, some questions that we can filter through and put together a questionnaire that and, and see if we can get in contact with some of the uh, uh, ghost hunter groups and other paranormal groups and, and, you know, to just see if we can, you know, generally collect some information. We're not trying to, uh, you know, to say whether they're right or wrong. We're just trying to get an idea of where they're coming from. So that's something that we're working on with the IEG. Great. Yeah. And, and what time is that meeting? Um, that'll be at five o'clock. Okay, great. And that'll be at uh, um, South Willow again. Okay. And, um, before that, um, I'm actually going to throw a note, probably not like a real meetup, but a note about, uh, the zombie crawl downtown, uh, Denver is Saturday, uh, the 22nd as well. And, uh, I'm going to go there, so I might show up to IIG well, a little bit. Uh, my kids undead. will be at the zombie crawl. One of them is going to be a uh, Southern Bell zombie, and the other will be a uh, military zombie hunter. Nice. Yeah, so we're participating, and my sister's taking them down there, and she's, I don't know what kind of zombie she is this year. So uh, there's lots of uh, fake blood around here right now, dresses with fake blood. They're they're getting all ready for, for the zombie <laughs> crawl. So I'm going to have awesome. to go down there and take some pictures for sure. Good, good. Okay, and then the last thing I've got for October, and again, our special guest can help me out on this. Cafe Side 2, Monday the 24th. Eric, take it away. Yep. So Cafe 2 at Brooklyn's, which is next to the Pepsi Center. It's our usual venue. And um, this is going to be an interesting one because we're going to have, first of all, it's going to be a little longer than the normal ones because I've got two speakers. And I approached some guys that have an organization called CERT, C-E-R-T, which is the Colorado Evolutionary Response Team. And what these guys do is when the opportunity arises, they go out and defend evolution. And so I convinced these guys to come speak at cafe. One of them has spoken at the other cafe before. And what I've asked them to do is basically I want them to split it into two parts. Part one is going to be Evolution 101, which uh, hopefully comes from the standpoint of everything you need to know when you're speaking to somebody about evolution who doesn't know anything about it. The basics. Okay. And then part two is going to be all of the medical advances and some of the other scientific advances that really couldn't exist if evolution was false, if natural selection wasn't the mechanism by which things change. So the idea was, which is not how they're going to present it, but my idea was for a creationist, if you don't understand evolution, this is you should come here and first at least understand what you're fighting against, and then second, understand the benefits that you and possibly your friends and family get from something you don't believe in. So I thought that'd be an interesting approach, like thumbs. Well, or I'm talking more like even uh, medicine. You know, if you if you've ever had any kind of virus and you've had treatment for it, then you've benefited from the medical research because we understand how viruses reproduce and natural selection and whatnot. So. They're gonna they're gonna uh, talk about both sides. The interesting thing is that the first presenter, the one that's going to be talking about evolution 101, is an atheist. 
The second one, who's going to be talking about the medical side, is actually a Christian. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. That'll be actually, that sounds pretty cool. And and I know where Mac was going with that, so so Mac, go, go ahead, go. <laughs> I was just saying, that one of the nice benefits of evolution is thumbs. Yeah, I know, but you, you're, you're referencing a Bill Hicks skit. That is true. We want our thumbs. We it's want right. our thumbs. It's got to be real difficult <laughs> for those people because I see people on TV all the time that have thumbs. <laughs> all right. We love Bill Hicks. Oh, I yes, love Bill Hicks, do. yeah. Miss him. Yes. All right, That's that wraps it up for your local Denver skepticism. Woo-hoo. Get out there, get active, have some fun. Nice. And then I guess we have a quick announcement for the Amateur Skeptics podcast. So for those of you who enjoyed our Smile High Con last year, regretfully we have decided not to do it this year. We were looking into it, but due to various issues, we've decided not to do it. I, however, will be there. So our Mile High Con fans, if they want to say hi to me, I will be there all weekend. But we are working on a special live podcast. Um, I don't think we really want to give out any details right now. Not yet. But um, hopefully within the um, next month we will have the details for you. And so expect, uh, obviously, only our listeners in the Denver area will be able to attend, unless you actually do want to fly halfway around the world, which we <laughs> won't stop you from doing, but we highly doubt we're that popular. Well, I'm sure we're huge in Utah. They can come down. <laughs> so figure, you know, about a month or so, hopefully we'll have all the details worked out and have a live podcast ready to go. I'm considered a genius in France. <laughs> there you- <laughs> yeah, that doesn't take much. Oh, Come on. All right, Ian, so tell us about Moon Pizza. Yeah, and, so, okay. and, and, well, and, and go from the start, you know. From uh, yeah, that's how we you, you better uh, cover um, this properly, okay? Okay, Domino's Pizza apparently last month um, had a press conference and announced um, but this Domino's Pizza Japan. They actually had a press conference. They have videos and stuff talking about it, um, talking about their plans to build a Domino Pizza on the moon. It's actually kind of cool. They have, they actually have the whole thing planned out, budgeted everything. They have, um, sketches on what they picture it being like. Um, you know, a, a lot of work looks like it went into this, but it's actually a very, you know, nicely presented idea. Yes, it, it was. No, but here, I, I take issue with the press conference thing because I can't find a press release and and i would think that there would be some sort of press release somewhere i know it would be in japanese but there should be a reference to it all there is is this video there is there's a couple of videos right um the, the video that ian originally put up here they've actually changed the video to a uh, retraction saying okay we our stakeholders told us that we need to focus on putting more restaurants here on earth right but i found the original <laughs> video that they put up and and i went yep. to watch it and so and but i so here i mean it's interesting that they do this thing and they they had an artist sketch and uh, here's the it, it's a publicity stuff right this this is typical japanese humor I, I i contacted some friends that that used to live in japan and they said that this is kind of typical that you know they, they take something really serious like this and present it in a serious way so humor. so tongue-in-cheek humor it's very tongue he, he said it was a very typical tongue-in-cheek japanese humor is what's going okay. on here and the western media is taking it wrong they they don't get it well, when would, when has that ever happened? Well, exactly. But, you know, and I'm looking at the artist sketch, I'm going, this can't work on the moon. <laughs> how, are, how are you going to protect from solar flares? How are you going to do this? It's got to be underground. You know, you're not going to build a two-story structure on the moon. You're going to dig down to protect yourself. Well, and I'm sitting here thinking, with the reduced gravity on the moon, the crust is going to cook much differently, and also it's going to it's going to behave much differently. The uh, The makings for the crust and everything else are going to behave much differently than they do on Earth. And because yeah, of the reduced gravity. Well, and you're not going to be doing tempura at that altitude. 
Well, if you look at one of these, has the links to. Um, well, actually, the altitude has more to do with air pressure, doesn't it? Well, since they have none, there's no tempura. Well, yeah, but this would be a pressurized. It would be a pressurized dome. Okay. You know, I, I presume it would because you know the cooks have to breathe. Now, here's another thought: <laughs> they're cooking in a pressurized dome. How are they going to be venting gases? So, anyway, or are they just? <laughs> If you look at what, um the second one, Domino's Pizza Moon Plan is all topping, no base. They have a link to the story about how Pizza Hut actually delivered a pizza to the space station. They talk about how there was a few pro- the, one of the problems was they couldn't do pepperoni because the pepperoni didn't pass through the six months containment or whatever. I guess it went bad, and okay. so they had to do salami instead. So you have some problems like that on what toppings are you going to be able to actually ship out there that won't go bad before they reach the moon. That might be just the pepperoni they use, too. A higher quality pepperoni might make it. I didn't think there were any ingredients that could actually decay in pepperoni. <laughs> well, no, apparently um, the, the pizza people had to change from being a pepperoni to, I think we said salami instead. Okay. You wouldn't think there'd be that big of a difference, but... You know, actually, if they could get a nice prosciutto, I'm in. You know, this is Domino's, and when it all comes down to it, even if it's on the moon, the pizza is still going to be disappointing. <laughs> it's actually, the new Domino's is better. I finally tried it. It is decent. Well, how new are we How new are we talking about? Yeah. Was it less than six months old? The rest of, yeah, um, I had it just about a month ago. Oh, okay. I tried Domino's when they started talking about those square... Those square $4 pizzas, and it was disappointing. I, I really prefer blackjacks over Domino's. <laughs> and, okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and blackjacks is, blackjacks is not the best pizza in town either, so. But blackjacks isn't claiming to build a base on the moon. But th- despite all the reality of it, it's still a cool concept. And if we ever really start trying to develop the moon, the, it, it will be independent companies like this say, hey, listen, I have an idea of what we can do on the moon and put the money into that will really get us going there, more so than anything else. And that, that's one of the things inspiring me about this is, even if it is a joke, even if, you know, publicity stunt, it's still the concept of, hey, a company come out and saying, what, how could we get to the moon? And, you know, they have a plan. They actually gave a plan. They gave a budget and everything else and talked about how um, they could do it. You know, I look for I look you know, for that to get a little bit more information. And did you actually find the plan and the breakdown? Um, they were talking about how many yeah. They rockets? keep talking about it, but I didn't actually find it. They had the so only many thing... rockets to take the materials there. They were talking about using yeah. the um what was already on the moon for the concrete and such. Um, I can't remember all the other stuff. One of these, I think, is the first article should have all that. I don't know. Regardless, I, I I think that you know at first I agreed with this discovery article because if 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 it was true that you know that that it was done the way that we were perceiving it, he's right that this was just kind of an abuse of you know uh, of space you know the, the excitement of space. But when you look at it as just a tongue in cheek thing that the Japanese did, it's a pretty it, good joke. Yeah, then yeah. it's a pretty it, good it, joke, it, right? It's a good joke, and it's like I said, there's it, an inspiring level to it. Just looking at the ideas and you know getting people thinking about. It, I, I, to me, that's a good thing. I was inspired to ridicule. Leave us not forget that Pizza Hut did deliver pizza to the International Space Station to the Russian cosmonauts. And if I can, um, I want to jump in because I forgot about this while I was announcing other local things. So I guess it's two weeks ago now. I went to the Denver Botanic Gardens, and they have a science botanique, kind of like our science 
um, cafe. Um, and they did a presentation on the space station, which was totally fascinating. I need to get some more information together. But I also wanted to tease out, there's a good chance that the amateur skeptics might get to interview a NASA scientist who works on the space station. Not on the space station, but works for the space station. Um, and can probably give us more information about this Domino's or Pizza Hut delivery. Can you imagine that? Dick jokes and NASA scientists. This is be <laughs> awesome. Epic. We're going to be yeah. <laughs> All right, so Ian, tell us how you got beat up. What? <laughs> tell us about how you got beat up. I love that segment. Multiple times. Uh, exactly. <laughs> For staring at women's breasts. <laughs> well, you. so uh, this one actually gets really interesting. All the stuff Brian decided to find. No, okay. <laughs> our last story about the um, Domino thing in this one, news, it's healthy to stare at women's chests. Well, ones I put in here because I thought we'd start off with some light stuff that'd be simple and talk to, and Brian decided to see how badly he could rip it all apart. <laughs> And he did a pretty good job of it. <laughs> and now this one gets really interesting because the story itself was picked up by Fox News. Which makes it suspect it. already. <laughs> <laughs> but they were talking about a German study where, um, what, five-year-long study and men who stared at breasts, what, ten minutes a day were healthier than the men who kept themselves from looking at breasts. Um, and like I said, this was on Fox News claimed to be a German study. So Brian decided to do the research to see how bad right. So because this, this, this to me, right from the beginning said bullshit. I watched the video and I'm like, I know I have heard about this before and I thought that we had covered it. Um, and then I, and I looked at it some more and I thought, well, maybe I covered it on Geeks on Tech when I was doing the tech podcast, but I contacted them and they can't remember us doing it. So I don't know where I heard about this before. Um, but I knew that it was bunk and I'm like, so I started, you know, doing the research. And I'm like, boy, I, I got back to 2007, and then I got back, and I finally got back to 2000 to the original chain email that started the whole thing. Well, and Brian, I, hold on one second okay, here. Okay, go ahead. Um, just before you actually get into the chain email, I'd like to address the uh, the study itself because <laughs> it took place under circumstances, at least the way they're describing it, which I don't consider uh, I don't consider the circumstances to be possible. Well, that was part of the reason that I that I went. This is this is bullshit. I mean, the the way the research was supposedly done, they had two hundred men, a hundred of whom were. <laughs> were directed to stare at women's breasts and a hundred of whom were directed not to stare at women's breasts, which means that they were lying. <laughs> exactly, right? There's no way. <laughs> well, no, all they have to do is poke out the guy's eyes. Because, I, well, that's terrible. I don't care if you're a gay man or a straight man. Everybody loves breasts. Is that really true? I, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't know. I think that's scientifically I, It's probably <laughs> not scientific, but every gay man that I know loves breasts, and I will get one on here if that's what it takes. You I'm know, pretty sure there. I could supply you a gay man or two who would object <laughs> to oh, your... You don't know, do that to me. Men check out women. Men check out other men. <laughs> they may not talk about it. Women check out women. Women check out men. It's, it's natural to look. Right. Hey, guys, we're stepping all over Eric. He had something snide to say. I'm sorry, Eric. Be snide. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I, I I would like to hear a gay guy say, yes, I ogle breasts. It's not that, you know, I, I understand if you look because they just kind of sometimes jump out at you. But <laughs> I would be curious if they enjoyed the process or if it actually made them nervous. Uh, and according to my wife, her stories, 
You get a group of straight women together drinking, they will be obsessed with breasts, filling each other up and looking at them and talking about them. So. And, and Kim, I don't care if it's scientific or not. I'm going to believe it in face of all of the science that says I'm wrong. <laughs> yes, but uh, Brian, I've got to say, based upon what you've got coming up later, burden of proof of, of on this gay men like breasts, uh-huh. that's on you, buddy. I know. I know. It is on you. I, I've got, so I, I can get one gay man I do, I put a that. story that would allow us all to have an excuse to look at breast if a woman's what you look at it's like I'm just trying to make sure I stay healthy and Brian has to go ruin it for us <laughs> well okay the, so the study said that that women uh, that if you looked at a woman if you ogled women's breasts at least 10 minutes a day that you would add so much time to your life and that they figured that if a man did this over his lifetime that they could add what four years is what they said five years five years which is 10 minutes even, 10 minutes daily adds five years to your right, life which isn't even statistically significant well I don't know that and then they're five good years. Turns out. <laughs> Turns out They're five out. good years. Oh, okay. All right. So, yeah. So, so I, I don't know. The, the whole thing, to me, I, I, I thought that I had heard it before, but it just sounded bunk. So, I started looking for, um, you know, going looking back. And the, the article that I found... Um, I found actually, you know, Snopes and, um, and, uh, which is about, a wonderful resource. Yeah, they're pretty good, but, you know, they have some articles in there that are bogus, you know, that they know that they put in there that, you know, that aren't right. Um, that, so that they're hoping, you know, that you should do extra research, you know, so the, and so, which I did. I found, I found ask.com and basically this started out from a chain email back in 2000 that went around and, and it's like, um, it's like, you know, the, the Mars is going to be, Mars is going to be close to the earth and we're going to be able to see it as big as the moon type of thing where they just circulate every so often. They come back and think a little bit gets changed, right? They started out that, um, that it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, in this latest one, it says that it, um, and back in as far as 2000, I can find a reported that it was a German study that reported this. So the whole thing to me, right from the beginning, I'm like, this is bogus. Either we've covered it before or I just don't buy it. But I, I found a lot of um, a, a lot of articles talking about uh, talking about it. And, you know, and one of them is like, we, we want this to be true. We wish this was true. Here's yeah. all the problems. <laughs> but it does kind of bury the needle on the crap meter. Oh, well, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. So, but, you know, that's Fox News. They're, they're really quality reporters. I, I, you know what? I believe that this could have been found on MSNBC. I think that I think that the the problem is is that none of this stuff is being um is vigorously checked out as it should be. And right. this one in particular, I'm really surprised that it got reported because it it's it set off my crap meter, and I don't know why they reported it. It just it I don't know. But I but I I think that any network could have reported this. True. Two. Two points here. One, I like the fact that the the article or that the study was put together by uh, Dr. Weatherby, who is a female researcher. Yes. That gives it a little bit more verisimilitude, verisimilitude, whatever, <laughs> you know, the appearance of truth. Okay. Um, the other thing is I particularly like the other news channels blatantly saying, Fox put this out there. Fox did this. I'm sitting here going, oh, they really, really enjoyed poking a hole in this, didn't they? Yeah. As was reported on Fox News. Right. So I've got the retraction from Fox News in here, too. They, they I mean, they, they said, okay, we're wrong. But many of you agreed with this article. It's like, come on. Just because I, I agree with it. Because I've been conducting this study for years. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it just, it just set me off. I'm like, this is crap. So I, uh, it didn't take long to break it down, but it was fun. Yeah. It was fun. It was. All right. All right. Let's so, have this talk. Let's talk evidence. All right. So, so I wanted to talk out because we get a lot of this personal experience and we get a lot of this with alternative medicine. I got to talk into the microphone. Sorry, guys. We get a lot of this with alternative medicine. We get a lot of this with, um, with religion and people are like, well, I had this personal experience and so I know it's true. And so the question I always ask is, you know, I, I want to know, well, just because you have this personal experience, how in any way does that make it true? Have you, what, what do you guys think about that? I mean, do you, do you guys get that a lot? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, people really do take their, their own personal experiences and the experiences of friends. You put a story around it. You put it with a trustworthy source. And, you know, what are you going to call the person a liar? Because they think that's all, the only the only thing is you either have to agree with them and believe what they say it was or you're calling them a liar. And I think, you know, there's obviously other alternatives. They could simply be wrong and be truthful in what they believe. But but it, it almost, almost always, I think, comes down from a personal experience. Right. And this is one of the problems. And you're right, because because when somebody says, well, this happened to me, it's like, well, OK, that I mean, that's an interesting anecdote. But did it really happen? Did you imagine it? Do you remember it properly? Because, I mean, all those questions are important when you're trying to establish this. And and unfortunately, you know, this kind of anecdote is what our legal system is based on. That's true. Eyewitness reports and and we get and so and and I get this all the time. You know, I'll be having you know a conversation, and it's unfortunate because there's a lot of times when it just doesn't matter. Like quite frankly, when when it comes down to it, if somebody believes in God and they go to church, no real harm done, right? Uh, For the most part, I mean, I know that there's, I mean, there there are certain circumstances where people will believe in something to a point where they'll commit suicide, which and we've seen that with certain suicide cults. It, It it just kills me especially with vaccinations and in this connection with autism because for whatever reason it there is a very strong anecdotal connection with the onset of autism getting vaccinations at that time um, but we cannot find a link and they have looked so hard for that and so here here's a place where it does a lot of harm the, these kinds of anecdotes we could have eliminated polio by now if it wasn't for these kind of anti-vaxmas no argument for me. And it goes, it goes back to, um, you know, to just that, what we talked about last week with the, the readings and stuff like that. You know, you get these experiences and they confirm something for you. You know, you've already got this kind of mistrust of things that you can't control in your life. And then something happens that you feel like, oh, I know what happened here. There's no, and not that there's no turning somebody away from it, but it's very, very difficult. They're gonna, they're gonna hold on to that and believe it very, very strongly. And like you say, you know, we've talked about the vaccinations before and, you know, a thousand events happen to, to somebody in a situation like this in the proximity of a diagnosis, say, of autism and the vaccinations. They're happening at the same time, roughly. And so right. there's a causation put in there. But, but it, I think, I think as humans, we jump to causation and linking things really quickly. Right. We like to, we do. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, we can really look at my, um, my reading and look at, you know, there's some things that I could have made work if I wanted to, right? If I wasn't being analytical about it. And I, and I could have walked away from that going, wow, boy, that, that guy really was, was good and ignore all those things that he missed. And that happens a lot is that we, we ignore all these misses and there's these one hits that, you know, that we go, Hey, I remember that that happened and it was, you know, this strong correlation. 
So that happens a lot, but it, it's, I find it irritating, you know, when you're talking to someone and they say, well, you know, I had, you know, this and this happened to me, so I know it's true. It's like, do you really? I mean, I, with everything that I've read about how the brain works and how, in how um, memory, how memory recall works, every time we recall a memory, there is a, there's a potential to corrupt that memory because we remember it and then we have to restore it and we can restore it with, with misaligned facts. And in even the recall of it is, you know, is subject to being misinterpreted. I mean, our memories really are not a good foundation to start for looking for evidence. No. And one of the things that happens with memories is we tend to, when we're experiencing, re-experiencing those memories, we tend to do what's called matrixing, which is we will we'll add in things that seem to make sense, that seem to fit. We'll add in their, you know, context. Um, we'll add in things that were going on that may not necessarily have had anything to do with it at the time, and that'll become part of that memory. Right. So, I mean, I guess, you know, and the interesting thing for me is to look back and say, man, you know, I've had these experiences where I can't explain them, and it led me to a particular belief. And now, of course, I'm down this road where I am constantly, you know, looking at that and saying, boy, is that really the way it happened? Is that is that reasonable? Is it logical? You know, that I remember that right? And I have to say, boy, you know, I, I couldn't tell you if my memory uh, on a particular event is, is any good. You know, I, I know how I remember it, but I don't know if that's true. And I think that getting to that point is is difficult. I think it's tough for people to say, boy, you know, my memory on this could be totally shot because we all so much want to be right. Right. Well, there's another easy test you can use, too, is you can, you can, especially if you are a magician, but where I was going is that, you know, ask people at a magician show, okay, did, you know, did the elephant really disappear? Well, you saw it. I mean, you experienced it. You were right there. You saw it disappear. You saw the lady get sawed in half. Did she really get sawed? Well, that's magic. That's a trick. So you know that because you're at a magic show, but what if you didn't know that, you know? Right. You well, can very easily fool the brain. Well, it's not that difficult. Right, but that's where it's scary where we've got people like Erie Geller, you know, who are doing magic tricks that, they, you know, that they're, that they're passing off as, you know, being, you know, some sort of psychic power. Yeah. Um, and, with, and particularly with that one, there's nothing that he can do that, you know, a magician like, like Teller or James Randi can't. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's the other thing that makes personal experience so difficult is that we are so subject to being fooled. It's so easy to, for people to be fooled. And the people that are easiest to fool are people who think they can't be fooled. James Randi says he would rather have a, a room full of PhDs than children. Huh. It does bring up a whole lot of, of different points. Um, you know, for one, you can take just any event that does happen to you, and if it happens to somebody else at the same time, just try to get those stories together, you know. And I'm not even talking like anything dramatic like a legal thing or a murder or something like that where you're trying to get people to corroborate the stories. Just, I'm sure everyone's done this in a relationship. You know, you have a fight, and it turns out that you did not have the same experience as the other person, right? right. <laughs> it's like, exactly. who did what? The, I, th that never happened. The other person isn't lying. From their perspective, from their memory, that totally happened. And, um, and like you said before, you know, that then brings into the whole being right. Um, and wanting to believe your senses and stuff like that, which is why I, I find magic a lot of fun because, you know, like you're saying before, it is such a clear example of how easy it is to trick us and, and delighting in that trickery. But other people can't stand that kind of stuff. They hate to have that 
um, you know, demonstrated to them. Right. Well, and look at the story that right there at the beginning, the story um, about the breasts, about, you know, about this study. Man, I, uh, I have a memory of that that I associate with the amateur skeptics that doesn't look like it's true, uh-huh. right? I may never have spoken to anybody about that before. I may have created that memory on the fly for, for whatever reason, right? I don't, I cannot corroborate that memory with anybody. I cannot find any documentation. I've contacted several people to say, did we talk about this? Did I talk about this with you? I may have created that memory, right? But I have that memory. You may have read it in an article or, or seen it on a Yahoo page that flashed by and your subconscious picked it up. Exactly. I don't know, I don't know how real that memory is. So, I mean, so that's pretty cool. I have, I have a direct, I have a direct correlation to what we're talking about tonight. So I'll throw out a, a, a slight tangent here, and you guys can decide whether you want to comment on it. But there's a, some videos on 60 Minutes right now, or at least last week there were, about a new group of people that they've discovered. And I think there's only eight or nine of them catalogs so far in the world who can pretty much remember every single day of their lives. And they've been very rigorously tested. And uh, so there are people out there who might make phenomenal witnesses, right. but there's not very many of them. That's an identic memory, isn't it? No, they actually have a new name for oh, it. I don't do. remember what they call it. But, I mean, these people can really... They don't, they don't have a photographic memory per se, but, you know, uh, I believe the lady's name is Mary Lou Henner. She used to be on Taxi. Right. You guys oh, read yeah. She's actually one of them. Uh, so if you watch this thing on 60 Minutes, it's a two part, it's a two part story. And the lady who's hosting the show actually says, you know, while we were doing this, while we were writing this, this segment, I realized that I have a friend, Mary Lou Henner, who always seems to remember things. So they actually brought her in during the making of this program and they tested her and they added her to the list. But these people have incredible memories. Yeah. I have heard about her. I've read stuff about her specifically, and I thought it was identic memories. Um, but yeah, you're right. They, they didn't quite say identic. It's not quite to that level, I guess. But it's Yeah, identic is the photographic memory. Well, it's a perfect uh, photographic memory. Right. Right. So, yeah, the, um, that, that's interesting. Um, we should put, we should include those links because I have not watched that myself. So that would be, that'd be interesting to watch. Yeah, I can get it for you. I'll even, uh, while you guys are chatting, I'll see if I can look it up real quick. And it's a big name for this kind of memory that, but I can't remember okay. what it's actually called. Well, and that's cool. But I, I would, still, I would go back to most people, the majority do not have that kind of memory. Our memories are very volatile and faulty. Mm-hmm. I have, I don't have a photographic memory. I have a pornographic memory. Well, <laughs> PETA wants to meet you. Yep. Well, if we could stay on this for just another second Absolutely. before we go to PETA and porn. Um, <laughs> it's it's another interesting um, bit of that because, you know, um, especially when you come up with, with skeptics and atheists, I think you, we could have a whole discussion on here, and we probably should sometime, about, you know, dualism versus monism. Basically, do you believe that there is... Um, you know, the body and either a soul or an intellect that is somehow disconnected, that's dualism, or is everything just one being, right? Okay, and I think sure. most people who are atheists may not know about this whole philosophical argument, but would kind of come, if, if you don't believe in a soul, you kind of wind up in monism, right? So right. all of who you are is who you are, is your body and your brain and, and all of that kind of stuff. So, okay, so you take that as the basis, right? And then you start thinking about, okay, so my identity as me, as Kimberly, is made up of all of my memories, all of my experiences, what I remember about them, the conclusions I've drawn from them, and that has that combined with my genetic predispositions to different things makes me who I am. 
Well, now we are admitting that my memory is fault. I just said my memory is at the core of what makes me me. If I can't trust that, who am I? Who are any of us? I mean, it really takes you down a rabbit hole that I don't know if there's a whole lot of escaping from. <laughs> that's, that's funny because I, I do think, though, that there's a certain amount of wiring, you know, I mean, because people are people. I know that the, we can have the nature versus nurture, but I have three daughters. And yes, it's an anecdote. OK, I'm admitting that <laughs> they are very different people. And I realize that all of them didn't have the same um Growing up, right? Because, you know, the firstborn's experiences growing up are going to be different than the second and the third. And so they didn't all have the same experiences growing up, right? I mean, they, they, it's funny. I once talked to a psychologist about, um, about this and he was talking about how he had, he was, um, you know, he was talking to the kids and he was talking to the parents and the parents were like, they, we brought them up the same, but he had to explain to them, listen, these are two different people. They cannot have the same upbringing. It's Do not. Do you want to possible. jump into the story? I have um, later on here that actually goes on to that? Uh, if you, you know what? Maybe this is a good jumping point for that, but um, yeah. I, I just thought that that was an interesting thing that he said to me that, you know, even though parents feel like they brought both their kids up the same, it's not possible because they're two different people and you react to those people differently. So I still think that there is a certain amount of wiring that makes us different, but I think that nurture also plays a part. I think it's a combination. Um, and, 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 you know, back to your point, Kimberly, uh, you know, that's just how I remember it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, um, I have an article that I've, I've had in our podcast notes for a while. We just haven't had time to cover it. Well, let's go ahead and do it right now, Ben. Let, let's go ahead and jump to that because I think that that's a good branching off. I think that I, I don't think does anybody else have anything more to say on personal anecdotes and evidence? If I did, it would be another anecdote. Okay, going once, <laughs> going twice. But so the, the article's um, on msnbc.com, Today Parenting, and it's called Tiled a Handful. Laid-back parenting can make matters worse. But the basics of the article is what Brian just said, a no-death thing. You can't expect to raise all kids the same and have the same results because each kid's different. Each kid is going to need a different level of discipline if you want the best out of them. And this article talks about a study where, guess what? They learned that each kid is different and each kid will needs to be raised in a different way. I think and, that's. I think that that is kind of telling because it really reaffirms what I'm saying. Yeah, it was a big no duh article to me. Um, let me see if I can find. So I, it, it, I found it over a month ago, and we've been um, going long, so we've had to jump through it. So I'm a bit behind in remembering it all. But uh, for the study, they recruited 214 mom-child pairs. At the beginning of the study, the kids were grades 3 through 5, the average age of 9. Once a year, for three years, they were interviewed. Um, the researchers wanted to see how warm or hostile the moms were and how much they allowed their kids to guide the conversation and how much um, autonomy or independence they gave their kids. The uh, the researchers watched to see how well um, the mother the kids could control their own um, emotions and actions. Uh, they admit limitations and stuff. The researchers collected information from fa- about fathers and only forty percent. So this focused on mother mothering basically. But the end results were fairly mu- much each kid is going to be different. I know it's somewhere. So, so how do you figure what parenting style? But basically, it says under, get to understand your kid, and you should be able to figure out what parenting style works best from kid to kid is the end result that they came up with, which to me was a big no doubt kind of thing. But you know, there are actual parents out there who have problems understanding that. Well, now 
I mean, you have two kids. Yeah. I, I mean, how do, how do you feel about what it, I said and what this article is saying? I mean, you I, say I, no duh, but... They're, they're way different. And, you know, and the wiring thing, we joke about our youngest one, Hayden, who has is a borderline OCD. You do see obsessive-compulsive issues with him. We do have him, but we've been working with him. He's getting better. But you look back to even before he was born, and you could almost see that, yeah, okay, they were there. Before he was even born, I go, I go story after story about the difference between how he reacted to ultrasounds and stuff like that compared to the way his brother did. And you could actually see a difference in the, the way they reacted to just that. You know, our, our oldest one was right there. You do the ultrasound, he's like looking at it, ready to show us exactly what sex he is. Hayden, on the other hand, you do the ultrasound, he moves away from it. You try and do what he moves to, he moves away from it. <laughs> so, you know, they're definitely different, and they de- we definitely have to discipline them in different manners in order to get the best results from them. Sounds like disciplining Hayden with ultrasound would do it. <laughs> Cricket time. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I was, didn't get to <laughs> Ah, you're right. That was much deserving of the crickets. <laughs> but so yeah, the, like I said, the study just backs up what Brian was saying and confirms what I know. And for those parents out there who don't understand this, read the article. It makes sense. You know, children are not carbon copies. You know, just because you have one child that's well behaved does not mean your next child is going to be that like that. You know, so all right. Oh, we got that one in there. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's good. I think that's good. I'm glad that I'm glad that we fit that in there. Um, do we want to do burden of proof, or should we talk about religious insanity? Er- Eric, do you, do you think that you can comment on Perry? Is this a good one for you? <laughs> uh, how PG do I have to be? You don't have to be PG <laughs> at all. You can just go, my friend. Yay, explicit. In fact, if you were PG, I would be disappointed. Okay. And you don't want to disappoint me. No, I would be frightened. So, uh, do you, do you, you can just, you can just go. You can, you can just talk about Governor Perry. Well, you know, I lived in Texas for five years uh, before I was old enough to have a vote. It doesn't surprise me at all that that's where he is. He reminds me, he scares me more than Bush does, or did, does, either way, because I think he's smarter than Bush, but I think he's playing the same lines. So yeah, he uh he kind of scares the crap out of me. Really? Yeah. His, his yeah. academic record is about the same, I would say. I don't know. I haven't looked that deeply because I try to maintain my sanity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, here's our um, discussion topic for um because we actually didn't lay this out. Okay. The the topic I come up with was Governor Perry held a pro rally to pray for among other things an end to the drought in Texas. The drought did not end. In fact, since the prayer rally, destructive wildfires have caused a great amount of damage in Texas. So my final question on this, is God punishing Texas or just Perry? Well, I I know the answer to this. What? I know the answer. I can biblically prove why God did not answer the prayers. But by the logic given to Christians, we are told over and over again, if a natural disaster happens, is God punishing whoever for whatever they did? We're told that time and time again. So here we have, to me, the perfect example of, are they going to eat their words or what? And so now we'll let Brian... Okay, this is a clear violation of Matthew 6, 6. This, and, and I put three different quotes from three different Bibles, but the, the gist of this is, is that, that prayer is between you and God. This is to be done in secret. You don't go out and pray in public. If you're praying in public, you know, so that people know that you're praying, that, that's a spectator thing. You pray between you and God. This is done in secret and in private. And because they violated Matthew 6, 6, God is not going to respond to 
this kind of prayer because this this is showing off hey we're praying we you know we're believing in God we're out and we're doing it in public okay let me ask you Brian that Matthew 6 6 I mean have you read the context on it uh, I, I'm gonna tell you honestly I haven't I'm asking if you have you know I'm I, asking if you're if you're not taking something out of context here uh, I don't think I am actually because uh, really straightforward I, yeah I, I, I it's pretty straightforward and I put three different quotes in there for, from the and I just and this week I read Matthews I read Matthew and I don't think I am taking it out of context I really think that I am getting the context right on this um, but uh, it would take a you know somebody that's more biblically scholarly than I am you know I I, I heard about this on the um, Bible Geek podcast when they were talking about that. I went and read it in the Bible, and then I read all of Matthew. I'm definitely not your Bible scholar. I'm still working my way through Jordan. I don't think I am, and when you look at this, it's pretty clear that, that the whole point of this is that, you know, prayer is between you and God. This is not something that you hold out in public, you know, to and say, hey, I'm praying, I believe in God. That's According to Matthew, that's just not what you do. So, well, and that's, and that's a theme throughout the New Testament um, as I bring up my old catechism classes all right jesus had like a major problem with the pharisees who he saw as hypocrites who would basically like you say pray in public have everybody look how godly i am i'm so i'm so righteous and he accused them of basically false piety self-righteousness and said that yeah i mean what it drills down to is the effect of if you are praying in your heart to god you are true to your lord in your in the, in your heart it's not for anyone else to know it is to your point between you and god so, so you think i'm getting the context right i absolutely okay, I, I, it's it's okay. repeated throughout the bible and and it's very very clear that uh, jesus hated posers um right. <laughs> he really did if if you were just a poser and you're just like saying the lines or um to i'll throw in the 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 old dungeons and dragons um line here if you were basically lawful evil if you followed the letter of the law and misused the law for your own gains that was the worst type of hypocrisy that was way worse than being an honest sinner do you think that this could kind of i mean to me it takes it goes into pascal's wager now yep. and and whether that can really be valid well here's a here's another interesting point uh while you were talking i looked up matthew 6 6 and matthew 6 8 the second part of it says for your father he's talking about don't be like a pagan you know you have to say what's in your heart and he says for your father knows what you need before you ask him so that to me says you know, ask us wager or not, whatever's in your heart, God knows it before you do. Okay, and that and that's a good point, right? So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It brings on, back to me why. On I the other hand, however, wager. these are wildfires taking place in Texas, which clearly <laughs> come from the devil. You know what? The devil gets a bad rap because he he gets confused <laughs> with Beelzebub, and in a lot of different characters in the First Testament, there, there's no clear well, you know um, devil in the Bible. And that, besides the fact that even if you want to attribute deaths to him, he only killed about ten people, and really God had a hand in all those deaths as well. Yeah. No, I wasn't. I wasn't actually going to bring this up, but I'm reading an interesting piece of fiction right now called "I Lucifer." Found this book at a garage sale, and basically, it's it's kind of along the lines of Paradise Lost, but the whole thing is told from Satan's perspective. And one of the things I found most fascinating in here is the fact that 
And uh, he's saying, you know, they said in the Bible that I entered Judas Iscariot to make him betray Jesus. I didn't want Christ crucified. Why would I have wanted him? Cry- Why would I have wanted Christ crucified? That fulfilled a biblical prophecy. I wanted. I was trying to save him. I was working on Pilate. <laughs> true, true. Also, um, the story of Job is actually a good example of some of the interesting things in the Old Testament because that's where we it's referred to as the Satan. And doing some research on it, at the time of the Old Testament, Satan wasn't a individual. Um, the way the Old Testament comes up, it refers to the Satan. And the Satan is actually kind of like a um, prosecuting attorney. And the idea is that different angels would actually be the Satan for the time. So the Satan in Job's, it was an angel that basically said, his job was, okay, you try and take the um, the anti-God route in this case and see whether or not God can um, defend um, the person. Hmm. And so, so and, and, and in context, again, from what I understand, and I'm no biblical scholar either, um, the Jews, the, the Old Testament doesn't have hell. It doesn't have a, have like, you, to your yeah, point, no. any kind of a Satan or, um, or real devil character. And I don't think, I mean, they talk about it a little bit in the New Testament, but I don't think it was a fully formed mythology that has well, well, since grown into this, you know, right. whole well, yeah. thing. Yeah, the, the visual references we have the devil are not even in the Bible. In fact, the visual references we have the angels and demons are not even in the Bible. Those come from fiction afterwards. The angels described in the Bible actually look more like demons than right. they do what we picture as an angel. You know, Matthew um, does talk about a hell, though. Uh, the, uh, but that's New Testament. Right, exactly. That's it, the New yeah, Testament. Yeah, I, I realize that. It, it isn't in the Old Testament. It isn't in, in Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. I mean, technically, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, there's no reference to, at all to it being the devil or um, Satan until you get to the New Testament. Then they make a reference to it being one and the same. And that's so, they, needed, they needed to change the marketing because the, yeah. the, the Old Testament, God was such a dick. <laughs> that they needed to, they needed to start blaming they need they forgot to have somebody to blame all the bad stuff on because people read the the Old Testament and they said well this is terrible this guy's doing all this stuff to us and he's a horrible and then you know they said well we can't do that that's a bad image so we need to we need to give a fall guy we need but to have somebody the fall guy if you look at it, at the time the new, the Old Testament was created and written that you God had to be the badass you God had to come in and smack you around right and get you in line all, all the gods were like that at that time. I, I do want to. I do want to specify that Matthew is the first book that is in the first testament, but the first written book is Mark, and they're pretty sure of that. So I just want to specify that I know the difference. <laughs> and I, so when you get to the New Testament, it's like okay, now um, the society has changed. We want the loving God. The okay, I'm not quite the jerk that I looked like before God. Yeah, yeah. So I know. I just, thought, I just thought it was interesting that he's doing a prayer rally, and and Matthew six six is it's clearly not acceptable. Well, I don't, I don't mean to burst any bubbles here or anything, or or ruin your <laughs> your your thing here, but you do know that people really quote mine the Bible, and they they twist oh, it yeah. to whatever they want. Well, of course. So I, sometimes you're supposed to quietly pray and you know believe in your soul and and keep it to yourself, and then other times, especially when there's an admission fee, you are encouraged. <laughs> To go and do it with other people and yeah, stuff like that, and, and both things can be true at the same time. And and fortunately, because evolution did not put a little bomb in our brain when hypocrisy gets too great that it explodes, 
it, um, you can do both. Accept, apparently, it's also acceptable when it's really a political rally being disguised as a um, personal thing. Yeah, right. right. And once again, we cut off Eric. I'm sorry. That's okay. There's a lot of people on. I just I, I thought I'd throw out there just for information's sake. Did you guys see the article that or the research paper that came out from Baylor recently that said 20% of Americans believe? I believe it's Baylor. Don't quote me on that. But 20% of Americans believe that God is actually controlling the U.S. economy. Like, that he's, he's managing it. Really? No, I, yeah. I did not see well, that. That doesn't surprise me, though. You know, I mean, Perry's rally got a pretty good crowd there, so I'm not... And that was one of the things. He, he was saying that you could pray, and that'll fix the economy. Yeah. And I, I put in here uh, a link to um uh, uh to a Perry video co- Perry video from Bad Lip Read where it's just a completely humorous thing where they um they they basically shut off the sound look at what he's saying try to read his lips and and uh it's hilarious it's not political at all but uh, I, I thought I'd throw it in there because it, it it was Perry there's a great Obama one too they just realized any of the arm movements I'm doing to emphasize what I'm saying Nobody are not can being see picked that. up by the microphone are they no not not a, not a <sighs> No one can see me. All right, so let's. Um, do you guys want to talk about the the what is what do you got to hear about the Pirate Day International Talk of the Pirate Day? What 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 is this? Well, first of all, I put this in here last uh, last podcast, which okay. actually took place on International Talk Like a Pirate Day, which is September twenty first. Um, basically, this is a holiday that was invented by a couple of guys just as a just as a way to just kind of cut loose. Um, the, you know, the, uh, upshot is basically you're supposed to dress a little bit like a pirate and talk like a pirate at work or wherever you happen to be at any particular time. But, uh, Ian came up with something even more interesting here. Yeah, yeah, well, 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 Brian got to be the ass with my stuff this time. I was the <laughs> ass with Mac's stuff last time. So. Well, tell, All right. Tell us about let it. us see your ass then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyways, so of course, um, I ran across this article the same day Mac put up his one about um, talk like pirate day, and it said basically pirates probably didn't talk like pirates. Um, it actually goes into the history of it because you have to realize most pirates were actual merchants, so they probably talked like your basic um, merchant of the time. Um, the modern idea of what a pirate talked like probably came from the um, Disney Treasure Island movie, where um. Basically, I'm trying to find his name. The actor that played Long John Silver, um, he came up with that, and he came up with that because um, it was a style of speech from where he grew up. And once my computer decides to load the page properly, I can find his name. Um, but it, it was a style of speech that he knew of from where he, he grew up, and what might have been spoken by pirates from that area. But um, that would have made up the majority of the pirates. Uh, there we go. Uh, Newton. Newton's performance full of R's of meat timbers and references to landlubbers not only stole the show, but prominently shaped pop culture. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, none of, none, nothing about this surprises me. Yeah. I'm not surprised they didn't talk about pirates, and I don't care. You guys talk about pirates, I'll look at breasts. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't find out where it was, but it, 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 somewhere in here it talks about where he came from. Oh, southwestern England. Hmm. Which just happened to be where the character Long John came from. So Newton, the actor that played Long John, actually came from the same area the character did. So that's why he used what he knew of was the speech that would fit. But so instead of saying, oh, that's from that specific style of pirate from that area, it's gone and been used for all pirates. All right. So just interesting, you know, notes to be aware of. Nothing surprising. Yeah. All right. Now, I guess, um, Kimberly, do you, do you want to talk about, uh, a decade of magical thinking? Um, 
We could. Um, this one was a, uh, I thought, a really interesting, uh, I guess it's just a blog post from, um, from I guess, Steve Almond, I guess is the name. Um, anyway, the this I, I put this up back um, right after 9-11 because, of course, this was the 10th anniversary of um, that really horrible day. Um, but this was a, a different perspective of it. And... Um, and I'll, I'll, if I may, I'll just I'll just read the very first paragraph and then talk about more of what's in the article. Okay. Um, but he says, say you took a long view of September 11th, 2001, the view from the heavens, the view of a compassionate celestial being. From up there, you'd see that approximately 150,000 earthlings died that day. Most of these deaths were caused by malnutrition and age-related illnesses. Roughly 1,500 were murders. Hundreds more were due to civil wars. Also, 2,977 Americans were killed in terrorist attacks on New York City and Washington. Those numbers are staggering. Um, and I'm not, I'm certainly not the kind of person who wants to suggest that 9-11 didn't matter or that it was, you know, we shouldn't be paying attention to it. We shouldn't remember and we shouldn't have our reactions and stuff like that. But when you do consider it was just another day in history and 3,000 people barely made a blip on the death scale. Um, when you just look at us as a whole worldwide 7 billion people population. And um, in that kind of a context, it, it really just kind of shakes a lot of what's been going on the last 10 years. And that's why the article is called The Decade of Magical Thinking, is it really affected us. I mean, I don't think that any of those 3,000 lives were not tragic losses, but I'm sure the same could be said from the perspective of the people who lost the other 147,000 people that day. Um, we, he goes on to suggest that Americans have this, you know, very weird kind of connotation that only American deaths mattered that day. That, um, you know, that, that these horrific murders were, um, were somehow different and more terrible, I guess. And in some ways they were. You know, you there is a big difference, of course, between someone, say, at the end of their life who's lived a full life and, um, you know, age has simply caught up to them. Um, I think there's something extraordinarily terif- uh, horrific about a kid dying of hunger um, that we could get into. But it is in some way different than what happened that day. And, again, I don't want to go paragraph by paragraph or line by line, but it really... It really made me stop and think about that and about about how how many people pass every day and and the numbers are almost so terrifically large that I don't know that we can really wrap our heads around as well, human beings. We're not used to those seven billion people and one hundred and fifty thousand dead. I don't know if we can do that. I, 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 if I could be an ass just for a second, I would like to know where they got their numbers, and I don't see that on here. I would think that's probably a pretty typical death count on a pretty typical day. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it's interesting, and I don't know what the statistics on that are. I would just, I, I would just like to know where they pulled their numbers from to, to back up what they're saying. Um, I don't know whether it's true or not, but man, it's a lot of people. And if that's, yeah. and if we're losing 150,000 a day, I mean, you gotta look at world 
population and what are birth rates in comparison to that? I, I, I don't know. There's some technical stuff here that I would like to see um, in conjunction, but it is interesting. I, I know, you know, you, you think about 3,000 people. When you're looking at our world population, even the U.S. population, it's not a lot. And I've also read some other articles that talk about how, you know, New Yorkers are kind of, you know, this happened to them. This, this was very, very much closest to them and, and, and not the rest of the country. Yeah, we felt it because it was here in the U.S., um, but it, it wasn't quite as personal, maybe, because it wasn't in our city. And I think that there's something to be said for the people who are, who are, um, who are saying those kinds of things as well, um, that, that maybe that this wasn't um, really a good reason for launching a war. Um, you know, there's some other things that happened uh, that go along with this that have killed a lot more people than, um, than, than, than the initial incident. Right. So I've read a lot of different things on this, and I don't have any particular sources um, right at hand. I'd like to throw something in here real quick. You know, you, you talk about the decade of magical thinking, and it brought this to mind. They made a battleship out of, out of steel from the World Trade Center. They made a battleship christened the USS New York, and it was built out of steel from the World Trade Center. And it, it seems to me that they were almost trying to capture the talismanic power of, of the dead, of the, of the Twin Towers by doing so. Well, the symbolic power. Yeah. Well, talismanic, symbolic. I had I hadn't heard about that. That's yeah, I didn't know about that at all. Actually, that's one I thought we did cover on past podcast. Uh, I thought we talked about it at a pad co- past podcast too, but I don't know if we did or not. I know that I've known about it for a while. Yeah, I, but I remember about it. I put the link in there talking. I put the link in there from the Huffington Post. Okay. So, but yeah, they built this out of they built this out of like six point seven five tons of steel from the World Trade Center. Well, at least they're recycling. So that's a good thing. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. That's, I I don't remember that at all. But I, I've proven already that this uh, podcast that my memory is faulty. <laughs> yep, I know I've talked about this with my wife. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if I I don't know if I've talked about it with y'all though. All right. I, I can't remember it coming from you. So it could that could have been Facebook and not a podcast. So you never know. Yeah. Right, Eric, what was that? It is on Wikipedia. It says uh, okay. 7.5 short tons of the steel used in the ship's construction came from the rubble of the World Trade Center. Uh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. So it's right. USS New York. And that's that's I was I mean, pretty staggering. By, that, three, like you said, there's a, a. Go ahead. I said I was only off by three quarters of a ton. <laughs> oh, that's not so much. No, but, but I mean, again, just just the day you know obviously lives in infamy. It's it's a day that affected all of us. It's a day that won't be forgotten. But what has it wrought for us? I mean, the idea that our government seems to be believing in the talismanic power of metal infused with the death of three thousand people. Um, I think I can say pretty clearly it's fucked up. <laughs> it is a little fucked up. It is a little fucked up. <laughs> it is magical <laughs> But at the same time, can you imagine running a political ad where you're like the person going, and I don't think we should be, you know, yeah. using the metal like this, and um, anybody who thinks that there's talismanic, you know what I'm saying? Like, to, well, to come out and say that in this country, especially on the 10th anniversary of 9-11, you couldn't do it. I mean, and and that speaks to how affected we are and how much magical thinking there is yeah. in our country yeah. as That's a interesting result point because, I mean, really, do we – I mean, I don't care that they use the metal for that, but th- is that metal any different than recycling any other metal? Right. Well, this metal is haunted. 
Symbolic. Symbolic, exactly. And I, I know, and I think that symbolism is okay. I think that, uh, especially as atheists, I think that you know we, we we get jaded towards symbols because how many crosses do we need to see in a week? Right. Um, but I don't think that all symbolism is bad, and I think that I think that we kind of get jaded towards it. But you know who wants to see a cross less than you do, Brian? Who's that? Jesus wants to see Jesus, a cross less exactly, than you do. Probably, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Another Bill Hicks reference. I think the last thing he wants to see when he comes back would be a cross. <laughs> yeah. Bring up bad memories. Yeah. Uh, well, let me ask you guys this. I mean, when you're talking when you're talking about 9/11, why do you think that 9/11 is so much more burned into our memories than something like the Haiti earthquake, which I just looked up and estimates are about 316,000 people. Well, the reason the reason nine eleven is more burned into our minds is because this was this was deliberate murder. Okay. They didn't have a number in mind when they did it, but it was deliberate murder. Well, but more comparably would be Katrina, right? The same Which, kind of catastrophe. U.S. Natural. soil, yeah, it's... yeah, that happened on U.S. soil. I think it's all about happening on U.S. soil. But mm. I would, uh, but I guess I I would kind of disagree with that with myself when I because you look at you when you know um it it was it had an effect around the world that maybe Haiti didn't a natural disaster couldn't have had this was a man made disaster true. Yeah. Well, the article does go into some more stuff about how, you know, and maybe again, this is just a very natural, um, nationalism kind of feeling and stuff like that. But he, I give him points for bravery, comes out and suggests that we might feel very differently about white lives than browner lives. And that's kind of horrible to say, but I, I'm not sure you can completely disagree with it. And that, yeah. again, the article speaks much more eloquently than I could um, to bring it up. And I'm not, sh- I'm not also saying I'm, I definitely agree with all of it. I found some of it very hard to digest. And at the same time, I found it a little hard to refute. Doesn't and that's he, why I put it in here. Yeah. Doesn't he also, um, isn't also part of his point that it wasn't just Americans that died, that there were other right. races it, and stuff right. that we gloss over? Yeah. Right. I think in, I think in our minds at the moment that they died, whatever, wherever they were from, they were Americans when they died. Well, and that's, there's some truth to that too. Sure. It, it's the symbolism again. Yeah. They were, they were American dead because they were on American soil. Yeah, and that that brings up an interesting point. All too. except for those fuckers in the plane. <laughs> they weren't American dead. It, it brings up an interesting point well, about race, doesn't but, it? I mean, is race where you're born, or is it where your parents were born? Well, I, I think it's for your nationality. Right. Well, I, think I, it's, I, I think it's where you give your loyalty. Okay. I got one thing on a blogging site where the guy was claiming that Muslim is not a race. It's like, well, then is Jew a race? Well, he's probably right that it's not a race. No, it is. If you look at the definition of race, it doesn't necessarily have to be genetic. Well, race. It has to do with grouping. And um, Muslim is just as legitimate a race as Jew. Well, that's a that's a different topic talking about race because 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 what uh, what race is and isn't is a very controversial topic in and of itself. True. Oh yes, I when I went to school, they taught that there were actually only three races: Caucasian, Negro. And uh, Asian, Asian. Asian. Yeah. So what about so, the American Indians? Well, I would say that we're all the same race, and there's a few different variants. So there you go. Yep. <laughs> it's always referred to as the human race, right? Right. Exactly. The human race. We're all humans, I've ultimately. The, I've, right. I've never heard of the Jewish race or the or the Hindu race or even the Indian. I mean, we classify that in America because we need to break people down, but it's we're all humans. Yeah. Yeah. 
And the genetic diversity between these cultures is not that great. That's quite true. Not anymore. Not anymore. The Jews and the Muslims are very closely genetically related. Well, hell, we were able to mate with Neanderthals. (laughs) Yeah. So, and they were technically a different race. So race is kind of, you know, I mean, at at the point when we can't mate with each other anymore, okay, I'll call them a different race. Different species, too. Different species, right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, different genus entirely, right? All right. Is there anything? It's amazing lighter? though how much it it complicates life and well, it does, people and yeah, yeah, awful so, things happen. Yeah. All right. Is there anything lighter to end with? Yeah, we definitely need oh. to go lighter. Well, yeah. I'll tell what everyone needs to do for me. Uh oh. They need to go to the Spirits Halloween Facebook page. Go to the Spirit Photo Contest. Um, search for the picture by um S J B. Canon, C-A-N-N-O-N, all one word, no spaces, S-J-B Canon, and vote for my son's picture, because I want to win a $500 gift card for Spirits Halloween. (laughs) Okay. And and I'm sure that you'll put all the information in the show notes for that? Sure. All right. So going back to the Pirates theme really quick, I don't know if this is, this isn't really skeptical at all, it's just funny. No problem. But uh, I was was recently turned on to the Lonely Island guys. Are you guys familiar with them? No. I have not. These are the guys, these are some guys from Saturday Night Live that write these really they're supposed to sound like really hardcore rap song but it's actually fake rap i recommend you guys go to youtube and type in lonely island and uh jack sparrow okay pretty funny it's michael bolton coming in he's supposed to be writing this hardcore rap song with these guys and instead like in his singing parts he keeps talking about the pirates of the caribbean okay and these other guys and these guys are like what you know and they're talking about going to the club having money with chicks and stuff and then he comes in and starts busting out about about the pirates of the caribbean they're like michael bolton we need you we're gonna need you to focus right now <laughs> you're gonna have to forward me the some video, links the video is hilarious you gotta forward me some i will links. look that up you, you gotta forward me the stuff for the for 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 what you're just talking about and for the 60 minute stuff so we can get that in the show notes i will do that all right and and, and here I'll, I'll give you a clip you know i was talking about the bad lip read of perry I, i'm gonna play you a few seconds of that you ready shoot ice cream that is cheap fact and then i suspended marcia off this bridge and took a virgin heifer night riding for a while we never got a dead spirit we hated it though it's disgusting. There you go. What the hell? <laughs> exactly. You want to know more? Check out Bad Lip Read on YouTube. I'm okay. telling you, it's hilarious. All right. Well, I'll throw one more fun one out there as Very we good. as we close this up. Um, there's a uh, the gayhomophobe.com. Oh yeah, what is, is this? Is a fun little website that keeps track of prominent homophobes caught in oh, gay sex man. scandals. And uh, basically, the contest here is to see how many days you can hold it before some other Republican, usually douchebag, who is an anti-gay bigot, turns out to be having uh, not anti-gay sex with someone and gets caught. <laughs> oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. That may have been redundant. <laughs> <laughs> but Republican our pal George is on here. He he uh, he had 113 days at the top slot. Um, and they give uh, they give a reaction to the outing. It's a fun, cute little site um, that just kind of made me laugh. All right, that there's so many of them prominent, 
And again, they, they go out there, they spend their time making life bad for the gays when it appears that's exactly what they're doing. So All right. I thought it was funny anyway. There was uh, also a really cute website, but unfortunately it got taken down called um, Bullied to Death by Gays. And it was a um, website that was keeping track of all the straight kids who had been bullied to the point of suicide um, by by gay tormentors. And... Um, all it had, it was just a blank screen with a bunch of crickets chirping, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny too. I mean, in a very dark, hallow, you know, gallows right. humor kind of way, which I, I like. <laughs> I like irony. All right. Very good. All right. Well, Eric, thank you for joining us here at the last minute. Absolutely. It was great. Uh, and, uh, Mac, it was good having you. Thank you. And, uh, Ian. It was, was good to be had. It was good to be had. Good. Uh, and Ian, it was good having you here too. Okay. Thanks. And, uh, Kimberly, it was, it was extraordinary having you here. Wow. I know, wasn't it? I know. Wow, right? I gave I'm, you... I'm glad we don't have video of me blushing. Yeah. <laughs> well, your response has to be now that it was extraordinary to be had. It was... Ex- no, I'm not saying no, that. No, you should not go there. All right. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Eric, Eric, go ahead and pimp AFH oh, yeah, one please. more time. Okay, AFH, YouTube night, October 16th, 6.30 at the Walnut Room. Go to atheistforhumanity.org. You can do your donation there. You'll get registered, and I promise you'll laugh your ass off. All right. All right. (laughs) Good night, people. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request.